All right. Well, good morning. Welcome to uh, Connecting with Your Adopted Child. Hope you are in the right class. Uh, my name is Wes Butler, and this is David Leventhal. I'll let David introduce himself and his family in a little bit. But um, uh, we're really excited to uh, be here with you guys this morning and just to share with you some of uh, what God is teaching us and helping us to grow in our understanding of. Uh, and so uh, just a disclaimer on the whole thing is that we are definitely by no means uh, experts in this field or uh, have mastered the art of what we're going to talk to you guys about. It's something that uh, I think both David and I and our wives would say we are very much in the middle of trying to figure out what does this look like and how do we implement this and how do we shepherd our kids' uh, hearts through this. And so uh, let me pray real quick and then I'll introduce myself and I'd love for us just to kind of go around the room, introduce yourself and then tell us specifically kind of where you are in this whole adoption discussion journey, if you will. And, uh, and we'll just start off that way. So let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for just this chance to be together today. And uh, Lord, just to consider uh, these things. God, we thank you for the gift of children. And the huge responsibility that they are is um, really a daunting task that you've given us. And so, Father, we thank you that you've not just left us alone to figure this out. But, God, that your spirit dwells in our hearts. That your word informs us um, in the steps that we take. And so, God, we pray that... Uh, as we just spend some time this morning being sharpened in the area of parenting and various levels, God, that you would just uh, help us to just be attentive to what your spirit would say to us. And then, Father, help us to be obedient to implement the things that, that we'll hear and, and talk about today. So, uh, Father, we're grateful for um, adoption and just the gift that it is. And we're grateful uh, for the adoption that we've experienced as your children. And so, Father, I pray that everything that we talk about today would be uh, under the umbrella of that, and uh, that we would just rejoice in that. In Christ's name, Amen. All right. Yeah, well, it's his fault, and he said he'd fix it in a little bit. So, but thank you for telling me. Uh, <laughs> oh, very good. Awesome. All right. Well, she should be up here. Yeah, I don't know. Might teach him a few things. So. <laughs> well, uh, my name is Wes Butler. Like I said, this is my wife Brandy here in the back. You can wave your hand. Um, and so Brandy and I have been married 13 years as of this summer and have three kids, all through adoption. And so we've got uh, Josiah, who is uh, about to be seven in a couple of weeks, which is scary, uh, going into first grade. Uh, we adopted him through frozen embryo adoption, which we won't have time to discuss what that is and all the intricacies of that, but that's uh, our story. We can talk about that offline some other time. Uh, and then uh, Sayla is five years old, about to start kindergarten, God help us all. And, uh, and so uh, she, uh, we adopted her domestically through a family here in Dallas, uh, through a, just a small agency here in Dallas. And then Malachi is two and a half, and uh, um, we adopted him from Ethiopia. We adopted him at 18 months, so we've had him for about a year now. A little over that, and he's doing great. And then we're uh, in the process to adopt another uh, little girl from Ethiopia, probably four or five-year-old little girl. So that's kind of uh, where we are in that journey. And so uh, let's just, uh, just so that we, David and I, I think it'll be helpful for us in this discussion just to find out who are we talking to in our audience. So I'll let David, you want to introduce yourself and your wife and family and all that? Sure. Uh, David, let me call us my wife, Missy. Back there. Uh, we've been married for 12 years. Coming up on 12? Coming up on 12. It's a term. <laughs> I was in a way that allowed her to participate. <laughs> of course, I knew the answer. Uh, we've got four kids. Um, we've got uh, three biological and one adopted. Our son Daniel is uh, seven, going in second grade. Uh, we've got uh, Caroline, who is five, going in kindergarten, both biological. Uh, three years ago, we adopted uh, Abigail from China. Uh, she was 16 months old when we brought her home, and she's four years old now. 
And we have Lily, who is uh, two years old. She's also biological. And we're also in the process of adopting a three-year-old little boy uh, from China and hoping to go get, hoping to be able to go travel and get him. Um, October, November this year is kind of our timeline at this point. So, so that's our crew. Um, what else uh, and then let's just pass yeah. it around. So well, we're starting with you. Just like 30 seconds of who you are and are you considering adopted? So we have three children. We have a five-year-old named Maya, a girl, and a three-year-old named Libby. They just turned five. Olivia. They just turned five and three um, these past two months. And then we have a little boy, which is a lot different than two little girls, named, uh, named Cooper. It will be two in December. And then we're thinking of adopting two children from Uganda. So we're kind of in the process right now, playing all the paperwork and working with some of the homes over there. Figure out we're going to go with. But I think we narrowed it down as of last night. Jessica, jump in there. Yeah. No, we picked the home, and so um, we should we potentially are going to be able to travel um, by December. Okay. So it's real fast. Okay. Actually, guys, back here. Uh, Greg, Keisha, Gasset, and we. Um, are doing a domestic adoption. They're Christian homes in Abilene, mm-hmm. and uh, we are about, we've been, I guess, available for uh, a crew for about two months now. So, awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, joining the, uh, the growing throng of Watermark families that have adopted through that great agency out there. So, good. Good to meet you. Uh, Chris, and this is Paul Sims, and uh, we're uh, just really kind of really getting our feet wet now trying to figure out. Uh, I think we know that we do want to adopt just uh, uh, from where uh, we got two kids, uh, one, one girl is four and a boy is four. Great. Very good. Glad you guys are here. Okay, we're Brian and Kat. Um, we have a six-year-old biological daughter, and we are in the process of adopting hopefully two from Ethiopia. And our social workers in kind of crazy, we've been working on home study for a long, long time, and hopefully we'll be finished here next month. Great. Very good. I am Rebecca Taylor, and my husband Mark and I have three biological kids, five, eight, and ten. And we have been in the process of adopting from Russia for almost four years, and we are hoping to get a referral any day. I'm Holly Bell. <coughs> I have a foster child, she's seven, and um, she wants to run for a sister. <laughs> 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 I don't know. I'm, I'm a guardian. I don't have um, a permanent. She's not permanent. She's not adopted. Gotcha. I'm Tony Cummings. Uh, my wife and I have been married for 17 years. We did divide and conquer. We have four kids. She's doing teenage stuff today. I have a 15-year-old, 11-year-old, 7-year-old, and uh, we have a 6-month-old in our home. Uh, it's a hidden family adoption. So we're a month or two from finishing up. She's been with us since she was 10 weeks old. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm Courtney Ball, and uh, Jason and I have a 4-year-old boy and a 2-year-old girl, and we've been uh, working on domestic adoption. Awesome. Well, good. Well, that's that's helpful for us. So uh, it looks like most of us are kind of pre-adoption stage, save a couple of uh, a couple of us, and so uh, that's good. So we'll try to kind of. Uh, 
shape what we're going to talk about today in, in light of all that. But uh, let's just, if you should have gotten these notes sitting there at the table, and so we're just going to walk through this little deal. And so uh, just to, for the sake of full disclosure, a lot of the stuff we are taking straight from uh, uh, what is called, um, so Created to Connect. This was developed by uh, our friends Michael and Amy Monroe out at uh, Irving Bible. Um, alongside of uh, Dr. Karen Purvis, who wrote this book, thank you, uh, uh, The Connected Child, which is kind of the, uh, if there is one uh, central text, if you will, on all things adoption and, and one expert that everybody looks to, um, it's Karen Purvis, she's at TCU, and, um, and so uh, Karen, it, yeah, there you go, <laughs> which by the way, David and I would like to apologize for not showing our school spirit, we, we did not get that memo, so, um, but I have no school spirit, so it's fine. Um, okay, very Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, but, uh, but anyway, but Dr. Purvis is a believer, and so um, a lot of what she's written about, though it's not a Christian book per se, a lot of what she's written about is shaped by her Christian worldview, and then uh, Michael and Amy have um, worked with her. So we're stealing a lot of this stuff. We just, uh, the Butlers and the Leventhals just got out of a, what, eight-week class at IBC with, uh, with the Monroes and uh, just walking through some of the stuff. So we're just kind of taking some of the highlights of that um, and, and maybe in a lot of ways just whet your appetite for both uh, Dr. Purvis's book and, and maybe uh, we have some of these copies of Created to Connect that you guys can have uh, as you leave today. So, uh, so anyway, so really the, the overarching theme of everything we're going to talk about today is right there in that first statement in your notes, which is this, that we have to acknowledge that while the past affects the future, it does not determine it. Um, and we, uh, we must remember that change is possible, and we must be open and intentional to pursue and embrace it. And so the reality of adoption is, is that uh, every kid who is adopted has a past in some uh, way, shape, or form. So whether they were adopted uh, as, a, as an infant and even uh, at birth, like one of our children was, um, or whether they were adopted you know, years into their life through an orphanage in a foreign country, uh, all kids have a, a past that affects um, their future. It affects the way that they relate to others. Um, but it doesn't determine it. And, and it's a really crucial statement for us in, in thinking through all this is that, uh, that we don't have this defeatist mentality when it comes to adoption. We just realize that there are some unique challenges uh, that our children are going to face as a result of some of their past, and we just have to be uh, ready and willing to address that. So we must recognize that this change will not happen overnight. Uh, it is a journey, and it's a process. And so... Uh, and then lastly, there in the introduction, we have to remember that no situation is too imperfect, no life too broken, no past too shattered uh, for God to heal uh, and redeem. And so really, as we think about this, we, we go to um, the simple truth that uh, if God is not in this, whether our children are adopted or they're our biological kids, if God is not at the forefront of all that we do and say and think, uh, and the power behind everything that we do, say or think, then it really is uh, futile. And, and yet, because God is there, um, it's the greatest um, ministry that we have, is raising these kids. So, we're going to start off today showing you a video from uh, Dr. Purvis, and then we'll jump into um, kind of the, the body of the, the outline here. Maybe. Maybe. Stall. Well, you shouldn't, you shouldn't worry. You should not worry. Should be working. <laughs> Function F8 should be the magic key there. XP? I'm going to turn it off. Turn it back on. It might work. 
Wes, we're just going to do a little song and dance while we're waiting. That's right. Cool. Let's turn it off. Let's turn it back on. Feel this. All right. Any good jokes? No. Zero. So, uh, oh, priest, I don't have rabbi. any good longhorn jokes. I don't have any good horn frog jokes. Oh, there you go. <laughs> We don't need Dr. Burns. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like this thing's cooling off now. You lose some of it then, you know. A little bit, but, you know, she gets some of the content. Mm-hmm. True. She's phenomenal. We've heard her speak at IBC. Have you? Yeah. She's yeah, she's great. I wish we'd known about the IBC because we would have done it, but we found out about it like. Oh really? Yeah. Yeah, it was really, really good. Yeah. Yep. They're doing another one in November. Okay. That's what I'm being told from the back there. You want to talk about being uh, like a uh empowered to connect? Do that. Why don't you do that? Because I feel like you're the spokesman for all things. Alright. No. Let's see what's going on here. Uh, so while we're waiting or thinking of Plan B, um, we do want to let you know about two two events coming up, kind of around this topic at Watermark. Uh, one is going to be in November 13th. Uh, we're going to be hosting um, with folks in the family at a national conference called um, Wait No More. And the uh, the sole purpose of that conference that Focus puts on is to uh, get children in the foster system, North Texas foster system adopted out. So that's going to be here at Watermark November 13th. It's going to be a half a day uh, kind of a conference. And so if you've got folks that are you kind of run with, that are talked about adoption, this would be a great kind of get your toe in the water and learn uh, about adopting from the foster system. Keep talking. Um, uh, so that's November 13th at Watermark. And there will probably be 1,000, 1,200 people here. Um, there will be agencies represented as well as the uh, counties represented. And then in um, September, I think starting September 16th, I think, it's on the Watermark webpage, for, for six weeks we're going to be doing a class called If You Were Mine, um, which is going to be just an introduction to adoption. Again, if you've got friends that are thinking about it but they don't know anything about adoption, this is a six-week class, um, once a week uh, for like two, two hours, uh, there will be child care, and uh, we'll just talk about all different prongs of adoption, domestic, uh, international, foster, Try to answer those questions. It's real, real, um, kind of lower shelf material, and uh, we'll have panelists. Um, we'll have families that have adopted from, you know, foster, and, uh, international, domestic, lots of adult adoptees. Each week there'll be a different panel of kind of folks that have been there and done that to answer questions. And so that's September through um, October, like for six weeks starting September 13th. So, so yeah, so that you can again, those are great. Sounds like most of us in this room have already made some decisions to move forward, but as, you've got, as you talk to people, you know, a lot of times what you'll hear is, now my wife and I, we've talked about adopting, you know, for a long time, and that, but you just never get beyond that. And so this might be a great way to, either one of these events or both, to help. So, hey, this, here's the next step of research. You know, you're not signing up for anything. So, you good? Yep. Yeah. All right, here we go. Good job, Wes. Thank you. Thank you.
did that in his town. Did her application go down? We're testing y'all's resolve. That's right. Nothing if you don't have resolve. Yeah. That's right. That's it. There we go. Let's check it. You hear that okay? With the knowledge of early childhood development and then the addition of our research and the research of others. What we know is that there are six major risk factors. And if our children become available for our families by adoption or fostering, they've got at least some of the risk factors. The first risk factor is a difficult pregnancy. It can just be mom was stressed. It could be mom didn't have enough to eat. It could be there was argument between the mother and the biological father or it could be that there was argument in her family of origin but all of those things create profound stress on a developing baby's brain it could be a difficult birth some children have protracted labors or forced labors some children have tiny hypoxic episodes where there's just a just a fraction of a period of time where there's a little oxygen deprivation it's common in all children but it's considered a hard place some children are premature and they have early hospitalization instead of nurturing care. Those three risk factors are very often overlooked when we think about our children coming home. The three risk factors that are easy for us to recognize are abuse, neglect, and trauma. But unfortunately, many of the children who come to us had a loading of risk factors and some of our children have had all of the risk factors. For families who adopt a child at birth, they think that will be a low-risk situation. But a child who has come home to us at three days of age will still have some loss to deal with. It's going to take on the part of parents tremendous insight and tremendous sensitivity. And we have to come to our children with great respect for where they've come from. Even if you're in the delivery room and held that child when they were five minutes old. That child has lost, and that child had some risk in utero. And we have to look at our children's behavior and remember that brain formation, trust formation, brain chemistry, sensory processing, all of those were determined the first year before birth and the first year after birth. We have to look at our child's behavior and always see where they have come from. Parents will say, well, my child can't possibly remember. I adopted them at 18 months of age. And I will tell you that the harm that is done before a child has brain maturation is harder for them to deal with than the harm that was done when they were four years old and they had maturity in the frontal lobes and they can say, I remember when. A child who didn't have care in the early days of life will say, I have a sense of hunger. I have a sense of loneliness. I have a sense of danger. But that child can't retrieve a concrete memory to deal with. That doesn't mean it's not there. And we always have to look at our children through the eyes of their history. We have to deal with behavior. 
we have to be proactive about behavior but we must never forget where our children have come from because it is always always influencing their thinking and their feeling and how they believe one of the really important things for parents is to remember that everything that they do with their children everything that they face with their children they've got to look with eyes of compassion you can't just see the behavior you have to understand and remember always that child's history we talk in our book about having compassion as your touchstone when you don't understand a behavior go back and stand and look through the eyes of your child I love the story of Jesus standing in front of Lazarus' grave he knew full well he's fixing to call that boy forth from the grave but his sisters wept and Jesus wept with him not because he didn't know what was fixing to happen but because he had compassion and he felt their pain we must never forget where our children have come from and we must always look with God's eyes and that would be eyes of compassion talk about this morning just, uh, things that uh, adoptive kids bring to the the equation in our families things that we as parents bring to the equation and then what does God provide for us uh, in this and so you, you heard there uh, Dr. Purvis talk about the six uh, well just this uh, terminology of children from tough places is kind of the, the buzzword of a lot of Dr. Purvis's training and just thinking about the fact that our kids are from, from tough places they have a tough history regardless of what that uh, may have looked like and so she talks about those uh, primary risk factors that, that she walked through so hopefully you wrote those down but if not we'll walk through again there in your notes. So the first one is difficult or stressful pregnancy. And so uh, there was a study done that tested, uh, you can just read this with me, but uh, a study done that tested the depressive uh, anxious moms at six months of pregnancy and then tested their babies or babies several weeks after birth and found that children had similar levels of elevated cortisol. And so it's a, it's a hormone that um, uh, is related to stress. And so basically found that, uh, that these levels were very similar. And so children were already experiencing a lot of the stress that a mom had, had experienced uh, during pregnancy. And so as you think about kids, even you know, for us, I think one of the, the uh, this was really helpful for Brandy and I as we adopted Sayla. We were there at the hospital the day she was born, brought her home you know, just a few days later, and yet we're experiencing some things that were just, you know, we're trying to make uh, sense of it all. Uh, and to realize, you know what, her mom uh, had a really stressful pregnancy in a lot of ways and a lot of details of that that we know and a lot that we don't um, and so uh, but, but that is a, a huge factor difficult birth uh, comes into play there um, number three is premature early medical trauma um, and as she said those are the three that we oftentimes overlook uh, we, we kind of tend to go oh you know that, that's not that big a deal and uh uh, but yet, I love what she says there and just the, the statement that she makes about the fact that a child who experienced something before they could really process and, and even remember it, those are really difficult things for them to overcome. Um, and so, and then the, the last three there are abuse, neglect, and trauma. And so, uh, again, depending on 
how you uh, adopt, whether it's internationally or domestic or at birth or, or, or you know, through foster care or whatever the case might be, um, it's important for us just to take note of, okay, what have our kids experienced? What did, what did mom, birth mom, experience through the course of that pregnancy? And, you know, I mean, even just thinking about how stressful it is if you've ever walked with or seen a birth mom uh, in that moment of trying to decide whether to give up her child for adoption during pregnancy. You just imagine the stress and the anxiety that that creates. And so at, at the very least, almost every kid has that, um, you know, um, uh, as part of their history. So, so let's just do this, just at your tables. Uh, let's just take a, a couple of seconds, and um, I want you to identify five words or phrases that describe your adopted child's start in life and their history, or what you imagine uh, the child that you adopt will experience. And let's just um, talk about that at your table. And then what emotions, thoughts, or reactions do you experience as you consider the difficult or unknown aspects of your child's history? So just probably three minutes. Uh, jot some thoughts down, talk about it at your table, and then, uh, and then we'll come back, okay? If you haven't moved to that second question, go to that. What emotions, thoughts, or reactions do you experience? All right, guys, let's talk about it uh, real quick. So throw out some of the words or phrases that, uh, that you use to describe kids that come from tough places. Okay, so some of the words that, uh, that we could use for, for any of our kids and, uh, is uh, death, illness, um, uh, stress, trauma, divorce, uh, those are some of the things that, that come into play. And so as you hear some of those words and phrases, as you think about this little child uh, that you have adopted or that you're going to, going to bring in your home, what kind of emotions or thoughts, reactions do you have as you think about that? Well, let, let's look at, um, if you have your Bible or you have an iPhone like I do and have the Bible on there, uh, let's turn to uh, Luke chapter 10. And just think, thinking through this parable of the Good Samaritan and how that uh, really gives us uh, a frame of reference for how we ought to think about these kids. And so uh, Jesus tells this parable in Luke 10, beginning in verse 30. Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And so likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. The Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring oil on, uh, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. And which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. And so I want to say this, uh, since many of you are on the front end of it, uh, I think sometimes on the front end, uh, number one, we act out of ignorance a little bit. We, we don't think, Brandy and I never had this kind of conversation, I don't think, before any of our adoptions, except for the one that's to come, uh, and hopefully the others that are to come. But, uh, uh, but not really thinking through, and so I think a lot of people just kind of deal in ignorance. Then when you get to meet this child, and you do get some of that history, and you begin to go, man, that, they've been through a lot. Uh, it kind of hits you in the moment, and then it has a tendency to just kind of wane off a little bit. Where you just go, it, you begin to just forget about it. And frankly, we become a lot like the priest of the Levite in the way that we deal with our kids oftentimes. And so we see their behavior, we see their response to us, we see uh, maybe even some of the uh, trauma that they're experiencing. But we forget that that trauma is there. 
And so just frankly, we, we have these really selfish responses like the Levite uh, or the priest and we just go, oh man, I, I'm just tired of how this impacts me. You're inconveniencing me. I've got to get somewhere. I've got to do something. And we don't have the response that the Samaritan had of going, man, this, this person is in need. And, and we just don't often see our children in the light of, and this is someone who's in the ditch that is, at the end of the day, helpless. And God, for whatever reason, to use Holly's statement there, for whatever reason, God has selected me to be the means by which this one would be cared for. And so we see the Samaritan just taking the time, seeing and understanding the need, first of all, which I think is part of what we want to do with this class, is to help you maybe understand the needs of your kids. Uh, Taking action in that moment to say, not only do I understand the needs, but now I'm going to do something about it. Um, And then just the follow-through, which I think is sometimes the hardest part. Um, that, hey, look, this child is not just with me. This adoption uh, journey doesn't just end at this beautiful moment where they take all the pictures at the courthouse and, you know, my kids get to ring the gavel and uh, all that kind of stuff, right? Uh, it doesn't end there. That's, that's just the beginning. Um, and so there's this long journey that goes on that we've got to be prepared like the Samaritan to say, hey, whatever it takes, here's my money, here's my resources, here's my time, my energy, all of that. So... Uh, so anyway, David's going to come up now and just talk about uh, this uh, this next issue here. Okay. So, as Wes said, we're going to talk about things that our children bring to the table, things that we bring to the table, and then things that God brings to the table. And so the second thing that our children bring to the table beyond uh, their history is a fear-based system of getting what they want. By the way, Missy, if you want to interject at any point, just jump in. Um, a fear-based system of getting what they want. And so um, I think I like what Wes said about how we, we get the kids home and we have this um, this very present memory of what, what we just got our children from, whether it's from Ethiopia or the foster system or a relative, and we know the history there. And so there's this uh, spike in compassion. Um, but then as life goes on, right, and you've got other needs and other maybe other children that are pulling at you and other responsibilities, and, and, and that compassion that you had for that child at that moment just begins to wane, right? We would say that's natural. Um, and, and you kind of expect a kid to kind of get up and go. We got, you know, you're now part of the Leventhal clan, for better or for worse, and so you've got to kind of come and you've got to make it work. And we forget that, that the history that these kids um, bring with them is, is, is like a, is, can be long term. And so as I was thinking, I was like, you know, they're. For me, it's helpful to think about in my own life, um, not necessarily because of um, uh, abuse, neglect, or trauma, but you just look at some of my key character defects, the things that have dogged me for years, right? And and you think, well, why can't you just figure it out? Like, we all have these things in our lives um, that, that seem like... This is just, you know, I'm in my mid-30s now, and this was here. Maybe it looked a little bit different in my mid-20s, and it was there in my late teens. And, gosh, is, is there going to be a decent chance this is going to still be some fruit in my life in my 40s and 50s? And, and the reality is, is until I go to be with Jesus, there's probably going to be some remnant of my brokenness, um, and, and maybe in a, particular, a couple particular parts, all the way through. And so... And I, I recognize that, and I give myself plenty of grace, you know. Uh, and so it's helpful to think about that with our children as well, is that um, these things may not go away in, in a month or, or a year. We measure change slowly, and, and not in increments of days and weeks, but in increments of months and, and years and sometimes decades. Um, so uh, point kind of one is we need to learn and we need to uh, 
try to see beyond their behaviors. And what I mean by that is that oftentimes the, the behavior that you're seeing in that moment, the outburst, the meltdown, the you know what appears to be just bold-faced defiance, right? We need to learn to look beyond that to figure what is what's underneath that outburst. Um, what, what we've learned with, with Abigail, and then particularly just with my own life, is that oftentimes for, for me, I'll speak for me personally, like anger is kind of a hot thing for me, but, but really anger is not the issue for me. Anger is a secondary uh, response to the primary thing in my life, which uh, is control for me. Because when I lose control, when I don't have control of the situation, I get mad, real mad. And, and so you might say, well, you, you just need to stop being angry. And if we just addressed, you know, why did you, you know, throw your mouse down or your, uh, why, why did you, what, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> this is not the place for my confession. But, you know, you would say, you'd, you'd be missing the issue, right? You would, you'd have to go back and say, why are you getting mad? Well, because I, I can't control. Okay, let's talk about that some. And so with our kids, when they have um, whatever it is for, for your, your child, an outburst, when, when you say no to something relatively, that you feel like is relatively minor, and the kid just, the wheels come flying off, and it's like you've just pulled their thumbnail out with a pair of pliers. I mean, it's just like, where, where did that response come from? You've got to look beyond it. What is, what's underneath that? And, and for our kids, as we talk about those adjectives, you know, the hunger, the, uh, the loneliness, the fear, uh, maybe the trauma, maybe the, the uh, trauma that the child experienced in utero, um, that is, you know, we have to remember those things are at, at play underneath the, the, the behaviors. And so we've got to learn to look underneath the behaviors. Are you going to say something? Yeah, and the behavior, too, can also be withdrawal. Yeah. So it may not necessarily be like an outward explosion. It can only be them withdrawing and, and not responding at all. Yeah. And so, you know, part of it is, is, is learning, is taking what information you have, whether it's good information or bad information or a little or a lot, and trying to study your child and to try and learn what is it, you know, what, where are their hot buttons? What, what, what makes them withdraw? What's going on when they withdraw? What's going on when they just explode, like just with this crazy, you know, five-year-old demon anger that you've just never seen before. What, what's underneath that? And that's really hard to do, particularly when you've got other kids you know, around and you've got noise and you don't have time to stop and you, know, you don't think you have time to stop and, and to address the situation because you've got life. But you know, as we take in children to our homes that come from a hard place, this is the part of the thing. It's a, it's a different set of challenges. Um, fear. So fear traps our children, preventing trust and connection. Fear bullies our kids into bad behaviors. Fear impedes and prevents the ability to reason and utilize logic. Um, you know, I, one of the things that uh, we were talking about in this class we just came out of was just this idea of you know, when you get afraid that fight, flight, or freeze, you know, your body, you have a physiological response to that. Sometimes your heart starts pounding, your palms may get sweaty, um, eyes dilate. And so with Abigail, or the little girl we adopted, um, one day I, I was getting on to her about something. I, I think I sent her to her to do something, and she got sidetracked, which is like very common for her. Um, any any three, four year old, um, but especially so for her. And so I went upstairs to see why she hadn't completed whatever task I'd asked her to do. And uh, I was just miffed because I was like, you know, daggone it, I asked you to do this, and you need to obey. And, and so when I said, hey, come here, Abigail, and so I said, come, come talk to me. So she walked to me in the hallway, and I was, uh, for whatever reason, by God's grace, I was thinking about these kind of things. And so I, I said, hey, what, you know, what happened? And so as I was talking, I put my hand on her chest so I could feel her heart. And her heart was thumping 
a thousand miles an hour. And it wasn't like she was upstairs, you know, running around in a room. You know, she was just she was just afraid. Like there was a a visceral response that my other kids, while they experience fear when they don't do what I ask them to do, it's not the same kind of thing, right? They don't they don't have a a a a, um, a fear of you know they have respect whatever you want to call it, but it's not a, like oh my gosh I am afraid, you know. And and so and with Abigail, but man, it was just something. And I've, I've done that several times since then. Whenever I'm, I have to get onto her or whatever, I kind of catch her doing something she, she knows she shouldn't be doing. And, and just the physiological response from her. And we've had her home for over three years in, in this wonderful, nurturing, you know, patient and calm environment that isn't the chaos of our home. Um, and so, you know, even three years later, you know, she still experiences just at a very base level fear, like in a way that you would not, it's just not normal. And yes? You know, you guys brought Abigail home at 14 months? 16 months. 16 months. But we have the uh, similar experience with Kayla. We brought home at three days. She was a newborn. So it's not necessarily, like, you might have a similar response until that you would think, I've had these from day one, but why would you have this fear response? You know, yes. You know, you've never had these experiences, but the brain history is the same. When I say we, I don't mean me. Those that are smarter begin to really figure out what what all happens inside the womb, and how much of that has a direct correlation. Like I was even thinking, and we were talking about this. Like you know how you talk about the children's place will determine their personality. You know, the firstborn is like this, and, the, and so we, you know, our fourth child, uh, Lily. You know, I mean, she just is a, a firecracker, and. and you know, it's her way or the highway, and we're in her space, and and as she's two, and and, and our oldest son, you know, is is, is you know, seven year old boy, so he's hyper, but he's nurturing, he's very compassionate, and I thought, you know, like just even like a Daniel's pregnancy, we're excited, it's calm. Lily's man, it's, we have a thousand things going on, Mama. You know, Missy's life, she's running around, she's tired, and how does that impact Lily's? You know, her experience in Missy's. How does that impact Lily? I'm not, I don't know how you phrase that in a way. That, womb, thank you. It feels weird talking about your womb to a group of other people. I don't know. It feels like I'm saying something I shouldn't say. Uh, so, womb talk with Leventhal. And, um, and so you think just like even like how much of that birth order, you know, there's been books written on, you know, personalities tied to birth order. You know, how much of that is, is helped or assisted based on, you know, chemicals and brain development inside the uterus based on whatever... Yeah, the fourth kid's going to look different because look at all the mom's dealing with that she wasn't dealing with with the first one. You know, I mean, we're lucky if Lily's got a bed and food at this point, you know? <laughs> Daniel, he could speak the Greek alphabet at this point. We nurtured him and all his time with him. And so, um, I, have to, I have to say, like, what you guys have been talking about already, absolutely. And that's good. And that takes us right to our next point. That's good. Is, is, is this, um, um, but let me go back for this. This three lectures don't work. Use as few words as possible. Like, so our kids, our kids... When you sit down with any kid, but especially a kid with a hard place, if you just fewer words is better, you know. And so, um, one of the things Dr. Purvis recommends, we've tried is just come up with some some short catchphrases for your family, you know, like respect. What are some of the other ones? Stick together, you know. No hurts. Have fun. Stuff like that. Yeah, Rebecca, what were you going to say? If you think about it, shoot your hand up. So. Uh, three, felt safety versus actual safety. Felt safety versus actual safety. And so, um, while we would say our kids 
are safe, right? I'm not going to let a robber come in and take them. I'm going to make sure they have dinner tonight. Um, I'm going to make sure that they get to go to school. Like they're, I, I know that they're going to be safe. The difference between us knowing it and them knowing it and them experiencing felt safety is very different. And so even though we would say our kids are safe, we've got to help our kids come to believe that they are safe. And that can be really difficult if you've come out of a background where you know, there was constant uh, hunger. Go ahead. I don't want you to lose it again. Okay. Sorry. Um, so when you, when you come out of a place where there's, you know, if your kid's coming from a, um, a place where they didn't get a lot of food and there was, there was constant hunger um, or they only had one meal a day. So you would say, listen, I've got a pantry. These Chex Mix, anytime you want it, sure, it's granola bars, you can come get it. And so, but you've got to help your kid know that through time that, yes, I'm going to get a meal tomorrow. Even though I've got this pantry, I will get a meal. And that's that felt safety. Did you find it? Yes. Go ahead. So that would, a lot of it would depend on the kid, the age of your kids. You've got a 10, a 7, and a... Uh, 10, 8, and a 5. So, uh, so, right, differing information depending upon the maturity of your children. I would say you give them as, as much as they need and no more. Um, the, the nitty-gritty details are not necessary. So, if, for example, if you have a child um, you've adopted into the foster system that you know has been sexually abused, okay? You, I, that's not information your 10-year-old your needs to know. You can say something like, man, this little Susie, she's come from a really difficult spot. She, you know how you've been with mommy and daddy your whole time, and it's been mostly fun and safe? Like, that wasn't her experience or his experience. And so because of that, mommy and daddy are going to interact. We, we might do things differently with her in the way we discipline, the way we... And, and, and so I would say you give them as, as much as they need and no more. Um, if it, I, I would say, I, I wouldn't give graphic details, like, you know... Um, I don't know that I would share that with any child, irrespective of their age. Once your child that you brought in, once they get to the place where they are able and capable and willing to share their story with whomever they want to, then I think you do that. But I think you can you can tell a three-year-old, um, you know, little Billy has had a really hard time. And you might tell a ten-year-old, you know, you might say, well, you know how we always had three meals a day? Well, that wasn't always the case for, for, for you know, little Susie. And so that's why. So you just tailor it. But I, I wouldn't go into gory details. Um, we provide felt safety when we arrange our environment and adjust our behavior so our children can feel in a profound and basic way that they are truly safe in our home and with us. Um, provide an atmosphere of felt safety disarms the primitive brain and reduces fear. This is a critical first step towards helping our child heal and grow. Uh, and so I think that's kind of what you talked talk about being purposeful. You've got to be really diligent to remember that, that, that even though you know your child is safe, and even though they, they may have been in the home for a long time, they still may not feel that safety. And you've got to continue to, to reinforce that gently and at their level and proactively. Uh, we're going to watch a short little video here. And this is actually going to be good because we've got a lot of folks in here that have biological children already. And so this is going to be, it's called uh, Learning and Unlearning to Parent Your Child. parents over the years who have successfully raised wonderful children and they'll think I've raised these great these three great kids um, my biological children are older now and I, I want to foster or adopt and those parents who have been wonderful parents and been very successful and joyful in their parenting bring that same skill set into parenting a child from a hard place and very often the parents are disappointed at the child's reaction to their parenting style. 
Now they can be confident that they can parent because they know that their older kids or their biological kids have great relationships with them. So they're reinforced to keep trying the same skills with this little child that's come from a hard place. And what we see is a situation that escalates over time where parents try more and more of what they did and the children become more and more resistant. I've actually seen situations where very loving, very wonderful parents have driven their children unwittingly into psychotic behavior because they were using more and more of what was successful in parenting their biological children. We say if you've if you've had a, a dozen homegrown kiddos, if you start with a child from a hard place, you start at square one. Matter of fact, maybe before square one, because you have to unlearn what worked before, and now you have to learn new strategies. You have to know these children's brains are different. Even if they came to you at birth, nine months in utero, their brain development was different. These children have more likely stress systems. They have more hair trigger on fight, flight, or freeze. They are fear-driven. They are sadness-driven. They are often shame-driven. Those are things we couldn't protect them from, but we have to know how to parent them through now. So I say to a parent who's been a wonderful, successful parent, remember the love you have for your children that your parents had already. Remember the success you had with those children. Remember the kind of commitment that you had with those children. All those things will serve you well forget many of the practices that were successful and begin to look at this child from a hard place with new eyes. One of my greatest hopes for the church is that the church can truly become the church. And as we do minister in truth to each other, we're going to have to begin to love and support and encourage each other in our own journey. We all love the verse during a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he'll not depart from it. Uh, the emphasis there is not on train up, but on the way that he should go. Each child being unique and different. There are a lot of societally approved parenting strategies. There are a lot of faith-based approved strategies for parenting that are not designed for the child from the hard place. And it's very difficult for a family to look at the way the next door neighbor or the friend down the, the street or the friend in their Sunday school class parents their child and still keep their eyes on this child that God's called us to, or this, call, this child that God's called this parent to. This is one of those places where stopping, taking a deep breath, laying down our expectations and our needs to look good with our peers or needs to look normal with our peers and putting aside what everybody else is doing and focusing now God give me a heart for this child let me see his eyes let me see his heart let me see his need and let me parent here with you now, I, I love the passage from Psalms that, where the Lord says I'll guide you with my eye no, don't be like the animal that has to have a bit in the bridle. But let me guide you with my eye. And I want us to be as parents, not driven by the concepts of parenting in our culture. Everyone who does developmental research will tell you that in this decade, we are a parenting strategy and a parenting society of avoidance strategies. There's a lot of avoidant parenting strategies out there. Unfortunately, a lot of those have become sanctified within use for the church. 
and unfortunately none of those takes into account the history of this child in front of me. So my prayer for any parent who feels pressured to look successful, to feel successful, to look normal or feel normal or be like everybody else. Remember, your child's history is not like everybody else. So if you can stand when your child is misbehaving, take a deep breath, look in that child's eyes and say, God, what does this behavior really mean? What does my child really need? And bring your heart present to your child. You can be successful in every situation. I really like um, just how she emphasizes that you may look um, to your friends that have not adopted or have not um, been in this journey. Your parenting strategies should look different because the kids that you're parenting, uh, at least one of them, more will be different and so like with Abigail for example I'll give you an example we have um, um, you know we've got three biological kids we we spank when we need to our biological kids um, and we have as a rule kind of decided that we, we will no longer we, we don't spank Abigail and we did we treated we did it at home you know we brought her home as we did the other kids and in the same kind of instances we would spank our older other kids we would expect her to same offense. And we, and we realized that she does not have the background. Her hard place just doesn't work for her. And, and it does, uh, right? So if, if discipline is a way to restore the relationship, which is what discipline is, um, uh, it just has the, the reverse effect on Abigail. And so we, we don't spank her. Um, and so, you know, you might say in a, in a Bible-believing church, you know, spare the rod, all that stuff, and, and you say, what, what do you expect? Well, just, you know, Abigail's history, and so people, that doesn't make any sense, because they don't know her, right? And so you may you may have to adjust the way you parent your kids based on this, and it may not look like everybody else in your community group, um, but the issue is not what your community group does, the issue is how am I going to shepherd this, this kid or these children that God's given me. Um, so, so you will spank Lily, but not Abigail? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we, and we, we don't, we're not heavy spankers. We, we save that kind of for when we need it. But yes? So you're saying by that, they would actually make the actions that she was doing wrong occur more often or something like that? No, just the way she responds. So my other kids, when, when I spank my son Daniel, he understands there's a consequence for your behavior. You know, you're free to choose a behavior, not free to choose a consequence. This is your consequence. He gets it. And, and we spank him, and then two minutes later, there's restoration. He's laughing. When we spanked Abigail... It was just this prolonged sadness. There was no, uh, you know, the whole, my kids, uh, appropriately so, would get afraid when, when they were getting spanked. Like, they knew, you know, I don't want, you know, and Abigail it was that times ten, you know. And the purpose of spanking, I don't spank just because I enjoy spanking my kids. The purpose is to bring about restoration, you know, and to restore the fellowship and all that stuff. And it just, that was not being accomplished. It was doing the opposite with Abigail. And so we just take it off the table. You know, and, and you know, you're in the Bible belt, you know, where spanking is kind of like a, you know, it's a right and a privilege of any God-fearing parent. You know, I mean, it's just, you know, uh, and obviously I'm using hyperbole there, but um, you get the idea. And there may be other things like that. You may... Uh, for example, you may, with your child, if they've come from a place where hunger was part of their story, constant hunger. As I think probably Abigail, she was a cleft lip and cleft palate baby. 
in an orphanage, and you know, there's just not a lot of time given in general, but especially if you're a hard enough feeder, you know, you may just say, listen, you will always have at your disposal, anytime you want anything from this bowl, nuts, raisins, whatever, at any point in the day, you can have it. Are you crazy? You're going to spoil their dinner. All right. Okay. It's okay. You know, and so your friends may look at you like you're nuts, but you're taking into account that story, and if you know that they have a food issue, you know, then you just you do what you got to do, right? Because it's not about it, it's about loving that kid. We're running behind, so I'm going to kind of go quick. Um, it also brings a, a new set of parenting challenges. Uh, we're turning off the fear and turning on trust is what we got there. Empowering your child accounts for about 30%. So we do we empower our children by providing proper nutrition, sleep, if they need them, supplements and vitamins, sensory inputs, um, kind of outlet. Missy just bought a little, little trampoline. You know, for I hate big trampolines. But I'll do a little trampoline. I, yeah, that's right. And so, you know, the sensory that Abigail gets in that is really, you can tell she enjoys it in a way. Like she's getting something there that other kids don't. Uh, my office chair and, and our office spins, and Abigail will sit that thing and she'll spin, she'll spin on that thing all day long. Um, and, and, and the movement on there, you know, Dr. Purvis would say that sensory movement is helpful. It's, and I'm not a doctor or don't pretend to be one, but it's doing something with her brain and sensory bath and all that stuff. And so I, I used to tell her, stop spinning on my chair because you're going to break it. Well, she's like 30 pounds. She's probably not going to, can hold me, can hold her. <laughs> and so now I just say, hey, you want to spin? If I'm not in the chair, you know, knock yourself out. Um, physical activity and safe touch. Um, using safe behaviors accounts for 70%. So uh, giving voice. Giving voice. We, we do a lot of, Abigail, use your words. And as soon as she uses her words, we try to be as quickly as we can to jump on that. So um, the thing in our house lately is Abigail and Lily, our two-year-old, just fighting for the same property, right? And so when Lily, who's our fourth, who's just a bully, you know, if she wants it, she'll come snatch from Abigail, who's four. You know, and Abigail just melts. And so we've tried to start, Abigail, use your words. You know, can I have it back, please? As soon as Abigail does that, we, we come in there, we're going to set it right, we're going to call, we're going to let Abigail know, you have a voice, and we're not going to let you get picked on. And so we come, try to come. Again, this is part of that. We got we got three other kids. You know, it's it's hard to stop what you're doing. It, but you, we've got to be be committed to our kids that way. Connecting while correcting. Connecting while correcting. And this is um, Miss, you'll talk a little bit about the whole uh, kind of ending with a playful. Yeah. So the the idea would be that. <laughs> okay. Um, and then safe environment is the last one. So we bring a, a safe environment. Okay, so now we're gonna we're gonna transition into the things that we bring to the table, and we're of course running behind, which is kind of what happens in this event. So we're gonna go quick. Um, um, so we bring, as parents, we bring our own limitations, right? That's obvious. We bring our sin to the table, and if you don't think that your sin impacts your kids, and you just you're not paying attention. Um, uh, so we bring our sin to the table, uh, and our expectations, whether they're um, well, we'll get that set. So, obviously, our sin affects our ability to parent our kids well. Uh, we bring improper motivations for adoption. Improper motivations for adoptions. For example, uh, these are reasons when, when couples email us or call us and, uh, to the tapestry email address, and they say, hey, we're thinking about adopting. And we sit down and talk to them about it. One of the things we talk about is, why do you want to adopt? And when we hear things like, well... And it doesn't may not sound like this, but this is what's a, we want to save a child. Uh, we want to do something great for God. Uh, you know, man, it sure seems like 
all the really spiritual Christians at our church are adopting, and we want a kind of a Christian badge of honor. Those are not good motivations for adopting. We adopt a child because you want to uh, you want to bring a child in your home to love and to care for, not to do anything other than any of these other peripherals. You know, not to have a, a family that looks like NATO. You know, you've got a black kid and a white kid and a yellow kid and a brown kid. You know, it's, it's nothing wrong with that necessarily. But if your goal is to, I want to have a rainbow family, because why? You know, what would be wrong if God gave you four white kids or four African American kids or four Asian kids? Would that be okay? Well, no, they've got to be one of each. Okay, well, let's talk about that. And so, when you go into adoption with improper motives, and when the wheels fly off, which they will at some point, then you're because you didn't go into it with the with um, uh, the right motivations. And again, we want to be careful because none of us are going to ever have pure motivations on anything. Uh, we're always going to be tainted with our sin. I, c- I couldn't give you a glass of water without there being something in there about me wanting to. You're going to owe me. I mean, the, our motives are always going to be impure at some level. And so, but when you go into without thinking through, man, I really want to love a kid from a hard place. And I feel like we've got the margin, we've got the space, we can do it. Um, there's no reason. You know, and so, when, when it gets tough. If your motive was a Christian badge of honor, well, this is, you know, I'd rather just go lead a Bible study you know, or something like that. So um, we bring unrealistic expectations. You know, uh, a lot of us have had rose-colored lenses on. You know, we expect the child we bring home, and we'll get them home, and in a month, you know, they'll be fully Leventhalized, and they'll be great, and, and, and it doesn't work that way. Unrealistic expectations. Um, if, if they've done some research on children that have come out of hard places, they would say that uh, if the the developmental age is not equal to the biological age. And so if, if you've got a five-year-old child who's five years old, they're developmentally, they may be a three. And there's going to be a gap. And so you've got a five-year-old body acting like a three-year-old. And there's nothing that drives me nuts like my seven-year-old son acting like a two-year-old. Okay? And, you know, then I want to, you know, just light into him. I want to say, Abigail, because I, I know he's developmentally at a seven-year-old level. He's just acting like an idiot. But Abigail... You know, if she's not if she's not acting like a four year old. There's a good chance because she's not developmentally there yet. She's making grounds, she's making strides to get there. But I have to remember that her developmentally, she's delayed, and her maturity and her ability to articulate what she wants may not be the same as the other four year old kid in her class. You know, at Sunday school, and I've got to, um, I've got to be, uh, I've got to know that. I've got to understand that. My expectations can't be that that she's going to act like a five year old. You know. If she's five day one, it's going to be time to, to get her developmentally. And then ignorance. We just don't know. Uh, we, we just don't know. We don't know. And hopefully, uh, contexts like this will begin to, uh, to help. And the, but the reality is, as many of us, like we did when we were engaged, you know, we sat out with a, marriage, a mentor couple, and they told us there's going to be a place when you're going to look at that person next to you and you're going to think, what a mistake I made. And you, as the engaged couple, think, oh, sweetie, I would never think that. Clearly, they are just not romantic, and they've, but I would never, you know. And sure enough, at whatever point you realized, gosh, I married a sinner. And she, she sins a lot. So many of us going into adoption the same way. We think, well, that, that won't be my experience. You know? And the reality is, is, yeah, it might be your experience. You know, if, if the spectrum is you bring a child home and you have no problems, this is one spectrum. The other spectrum is it's all hell breaks loose and you've got a kid that's spreading feces on the wall and who, who maybe never developmentally gets on par. Okay, that's, if that's the other extreme, you're going to be somewhere between here and here. It's just, that's just part of it. Now, where you land, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. But you, do, you should be prepared for the fact that there's a, there's a spectrum. 
and we need to be prepared to, to depending upon the child God gives us, we're going to fall someplace on the spectrum. It may be, it may be more, more good, quote-unquote, than bad. It may be more hard, I shouldn't say bad, hard. It may be more hard than it is good, but, you know, let's at least acknowledge that that could be our reality. Okay. And remembering that the Lord said it, even whenever it did, on heart. My apartment, so you just hang on right there. Uh, <laughs> that's good. Well, just to wrap up, a couple of other things uh, to cover here. So, one is um, just the other thing that we bring to the equation. Uh, the other thing that we bring to the equation is our presence. Uh, so when it comes to adoption, we do bring our presence. Now, on one level, we go, oh, great, you know, finally, we, we, you know, we're here and these children don't have parents. Well, let's just be clear here that our presence can oftentimes be just as much a factor in their decline as it is a factor in their improvement. Um, and it all depends on how we are present with our kids, uh, whether we are fully engaged with them or whether we're just kind of, um, hey, I'm here and you're fed and dressed and, you know, uh, and, and you should feel blessed that you've at least got that much. Um, and any time that that begins to play into any of our parenting, whether our biological kids or adopted kids, uh, we've got to take a real uh, close look in the mirror at our own motivations, our own heart, our own sinfulness, as David has talked about. And so just uh, really, um, there is a, uh, a vast difference between being fully engaged with our kids. Uh, you know, David talked about just being a student of our kids. Like what What is it? You know, so for them, with, with Abigail, it's recognizing something different in her than they see in their other kids. And just being a student, well, that takes engagement on their part with the heart of that child. Right? In the same way that, that we, hopefully, Brandy and I are doing that with our three kids and seeing that Josiah is very different from Selah. Very different from Selah. And Selah and Malachi are very, very different. And so seeing already in him, you know, as a two-year-old, some of the things that we've never seen in our other two kids, and going, okay, we're going to have to deal with that differently than we've ever had to deal with that before because we've never had it before. And so, again, that just takes engagement with our kids. Uh, and then, you know, as David talked about uh, fear, one of the things that Dr. Purvis and uh, Michael and Amy talk about uh, a lot is just this idea of playful engagement, that uh, almost the opposite of fear is play, right? So uh, play is a fearless interaction, and it helps us to dis- disarm the fear response. So as Missy was talking about, just their playful interaction, even in correction, um, that, that is helping to uh, alleviate some of the fear response that Abigail's having in that. And so, um, you know, just the way that we interact with our kids is, is huge. And the way that we take time to play with them. David talked about just not lecturing. Every time we correct, we don't, we don't lecture. We don't, hey, let me teach you a lesson. Sit down here and just listen to me for five minutes. If you have Selah, you, you know that we don't sit down to do anything for five minutes. You know, so it's just going like this. And so we've got to find those moments just to engage with them in a playful way. And in that way, teach Correct and trained. So, uh, Brandy, uh, if you don't follow my wife on Facebook, then you're crazy. So she's like the funniest person on Facebook. And uh, and so, you know, earlier this week she told this story about, uh, we were talking about it on the way over here, just, um, uh, you know, Brandy's been working with Sayla. She's getting ready to go into kindergarten um, uh, role-playing with her. So Sayla has uh, some difficulties with boundaries with people. So she's just, we were out to dinner last night and saw some friends from Watermark and uh, our friend said, yeah, Sayla's going to run for president someday. I mean, that's how she, I mean, she just interacts with everybody like, hi, can I kiss your baby? You know, kind of deal. And so, um, really and she, no, that's true. That's true. She doesn't ask. She just grabs the baby. And, um, and 
so, yes, and so, you know, one of her things is just uh, knowing boundaries and, and having, you know, uh, appropriate affection with, with people. And so Brandy's been working with her on, uh, hey, we don't hug and kiss little boys at, at school or anybody or for that matter. Or little girls, anyway. Or little girls, right. And so, uh, so earlier this week, Josiah and her were role-playing. Um, and uh, and so uh, Brandy overhears Josiah saying, "Hey, little girl with the yellow hair, um, you know, give me a kiss." And her response is, "No, I won't kiss you because you're not my brother and you're not my daddy." Um, and uh, and so he says, "Oh, okay. Well, but I'll give you this blue silly band." And she goes, "Oh, well, in that case, you can kiss my knee." And uh, and he says, "No, Sailor, you can't. You cannot kiss. There's no kissing in kindergarten." And she says, she says. Uh, she says, slow your roll, Bubba, which I don't know what that means, but slow your roll, Bubba. Calm down. She said, it's okay to kiss on the knee. I saw it on the news. Um, and so I'm not real sure where that came from. don't know what kind of news she's watching. Uh, but, but anyway, but that's an example, although not exactly how we hope that it will play out, but an example of just how Brandy is interacting with Sayla in a way that's just playful and fun. And so they were out shopping yesterday, and they were doing similar things like that at the mall and just, hey, let's talk about, you know, what if a stranger came up to you? Because she is, she's that kind of gal that, I mean, she'd go to anybody and, and uh, if we're not really careful. And so it, it's interacting, whereas it's not scolding her because she ran up and kissed, you know, grabbed the baby out of the stroller and kissed it and carried it off under her arm like a suitcase, you know. Um, that, that's not going to be helpful for her. And so it's going to be these little, these little moments. So again, if fear robs us of playfulness, play is a great antidote to fear. And so that's why it's so crucial in the way that we parent our kids. And so the key is for us to become mindful and emotionally uh, and fully emotionally present with our children, attuned and available for them without all of our stuff getting in the way. And so Galatians 5, um, verses 19 through 25, we'll just read those together. Actually, we'll just start in, in verse 22. So, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. And so as we think about um, our interaction with our kids, we pray, God, help me to inject this fruit of the Spirit into my interactions with my kids so that I am loving and kind and joyful, playful even, in the way that I interact with them um, and allow the Lord just to uh, direct our steps there. So we do bring our presence for for better, for worse, and we pray um, that God will give us the strength um, for that to be for the better. So, uh, And then lastly here is just talking about the, the fact that we've got to acknowledge uh, what God brings and what God alone brings. And so the goal in adoption is not just adoption, right? Um, there is, there is within our culture today this uh, Brad and Angelina, Madonna uh, kind of uh, embracing of adoption, right? That, oh man, those kids are going to have it so much better because now they get to drive a Lamborghini rather than starve to death. Right, um, and uh, and so there is this this kind of idea that that's the end in itself, just to rescue this child, to bring this child uh, into a better environment than what they had. Now, could we argue that perhaps they are in a better environment? Uh, well, we won't get into that, but perhaps, right? At, le- at the very least, they're probably not going to starve, right? And so we go, well, good, good for them. But the goal of adoption is not just that. The goal of adoption is second adoption. Uh, it is this idea of the new birth, of being reborn. 
And so uh, the gospel must play the central role uh, in, in adoption. It has to play the central role in our lives, first of all. Just that we acknowledge before God, God, I am incapable of loving this child the way that I should because I am a, a fallen uh, human being. And sin reigns in my life in a lot of ways. And by your grace, I've been forgiven. And I'm growing in my uh, love for you and uh, steering away from you know, more of this, uh, the, the deeds of the flesh. And yet I'm still fallen. So God, please help me now to love my kid like you would have me love them. And then to pray for our kids. And yet, God, no matter what I do, no matter how well I love them, no matter if I make all the right turns, God, if you don't call them, if you don't redeem them, if you don't save them, then it's all for naught. And so, God, I'm pleading with you on behalf of my kids that you would save them, that you would rescue them, that you would reveal yourself to them. And so we've got to realize that God alone will bring about the healing that we long for our kids to experience. He'll bring restoration for our kids. Um, And then just to even realize that there is uh, an element of um, the fact that this world is broken. And that a lot of the things that our kids deal with will probably be the things that we'll, they'll continue to deal with on various levels throughout their life. Uh, and so Romans 8 is this great passage, one of the great passages. So there's three key passages, if you will, on adoption in the scriptures. And, and our adoption is God's children. So Romans 8, uh, Galatians 4, and Ephesians 1 uh, are those. But in Romans 8, uh, down in verse... Uh, just start in verse 14. It says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. And then skipping on down to verse 22, it says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Uh, Dr. Spurgeon, uh, Charles Spurgeon, is a sermon on this where he just talks about this idea that, um, uh, that this adoption that even Paul is referring to here um, is, uh, is an adoption that is an already not yet. So if you know your Bible and you know the gospel, you know that there's an already not yet aspect to uh, our adoption as sons, that we have been adopted. We are children of the king, and yet there is coming a time when that uh, king will return for us and fully adopt us as his sons. So to put that in our terms, uh, we have friends that are in our community group with uh, us and 11 who uh, three weeks ago were in Ethiopia at court um, to, uh, to uh, hopefully have a judge say, yes, this child is yours and, uh, and, and all that. Well, now they did that. That child is legally theirs, but yet there's new laws in uh, Ethiopia that say you've got to be there, then you've got to come back. And then you got to go back and get them um, and go through your embassy appointment and all that kind of stuff. So yesterday they hopped on a plane to go back to Ethiopia where they'll get this sweet little girl and they'll bring her home and, and she'll come and she'll be fully theirs. And so as we think about even uh, the adoption that we pray that our children will experience in this life uh, from us, then we think about the adoption we pray that they experience from God. We realize that that adoption is not complete until that time when they will stand face to face and when all that is wrong will be made right. 
And so they're going to continue to face these challenges. They're going to continue to have these groans of creation saying, God, this just isn't right. This world is messed up. And I'm continuing to labor through the pain that I experienced as a child or as an infant or or whatever it it might be. And yet, God, I know there's a day coming when you're going to set all things right. And so that's the hope that we have as parents. The hope that we have as parents for these kids is not us. Um, If it ever is us, we um, we are misguided. We are misguided and, and really set up for disappointment uh, because they're going to turn. They're going to go different ways. Um, and it's just a matter of who are we placing our trust in? Our techniques, our tips, our parenting styles and all that? Or are we trusting in God that he alone can save, he alone can restore, he alone can heal? So um, that's what we've got. I don't know if we have time, hopefully, for a little bit of Q&A for maybe five minutes. Yeah, we got we'll yeah, a couple questions if we have any. We gotta wrap up. We went a little bit long. I have a question. Yeah. Um, back when we were talking about, like, when uh, Dr. Probst was talking about the difficult pregnancy, difficult birth, that kind of stuff. Well, obviously, my daughter was um, a difficult pregnancy and a difficult birth. So, how is that different in a biological kid versus an adopted kid? Is there? A so, let me take a step. So, you're the child that you mm-hmm. gave birth to had a difficult yeah. pregnancy. And granted, she's lived with me her entire life, but at the same time, that was still a factor in her birth. Yeah, I would say that there uh, there would be some of the same similarities. Okay. Uh, but I would also say that, that, that the voice that she heard for nine months is still the same voice, and so there's okay. not this. So there's, there's a connection there. Yeah, there's okay. a connection there. There's not this sense of uh, this sense of loss. Okay. So, uh, but but some of the things that, for example, Salem may be experiencing in terms of sensory and stuff, mm-hmm. you may find that your daughter has some of the similar characteristics. Okay. The, the, the piece that's not going to be there would be the, the, the loss okay. of an operation. Yeah, I don't exactly know. Uh, and, and I guess my question is more, if you're going to go to the more compassionate and whatever approach with your adopted child, can you not also use that approach with your biological kids, or is that not appropriate? No. Do they need more of a tough love? No, I, I think that, so, and I'll just, let me just say, this whole discipline thing is, is a difficult thing to get your arms around. Uh, and yes, you could go, and, and you could go all in and say we're gonna we're changing our parenting style for all of our kids because of, because of this child because it's just too hard to juggle two different styles, um, and that's certainly something you could do. I, I think that um, and for the majority of the of things we have done that. I mean, we I like will you put Missy in a time in. And have her right next to you, yeah. like you would Abigail. And it might be more complicated because they change with each stage in life. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, it's difficult uh, no, no. because what you'll see is um, what 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 you may see the behavior. You might think that is just bold based defiance, and I'll be I'll be damned if you're going to defy me in my house. Let's make sure we know who's the boss here. Okay. So you see some of the my issues in there. Yeah. Okay. But then you also realize it's it's not. It may actually not be defiance. Not with Daniel. It might be with Abigail. There's a there's a better than average chance she's not being defiant. Right. She just is all over the board and is not able to focus on a task. You know, like I can't just send her, go clean your room. It just, it just does not work. So I can, either, I can either discipline her for not doing it and keep sending her there, right? Or I can say, okay, something's not working. So let me stop. Let me go with her. Okay, Abigail, anything that's red, pick it up. All the Legos, let's just focus just on the Legos. I'm going to be with you. Because if she doesn't do it, then I'm saying, we disobeyed me. I gave you clear instruction. I gave you a time frame. I want Legos picked up in five minutes. I came back and, ain't a Lego been picked up. Okay? You, you disobeyed me. Well, maybe. With Abigail, probably not. And so my response, what I want to do is deal with the defiance. I've got to look through that. Is she, 
is Abigail actually being defiant? Maybe. But because I know her, and I've been with her for three years, I, I know that she's probably not being defiant. She's probably struggling to stay on task. And even if she wanted to stay on task, she probably just developmentally is not there yet. So I've got to swallow because she's not being defiant. She's not that's a different strategy. Um, we'll, we'll be around. I want to get out of the classroom for the next class. We'll be out in the lobby if you want to talk. Um, just as we, as we close, I mean, I think you guys have hit on this, is that a lot of this stuff applies for all of our kids, right? We want to have the fruit of the Spirit with all of our kids. But with kids from hard places, just the margin of error is just is smaller. We don't have as you know, Because they've come from tough spots, we, it's just a smaller runway. You've got to land that plane on a smaller, on a smaller runway. Um, and so it just takes m- more work. Uh, we put our email addresses on the front of this. Um, if you've got questions for us or for our wives or even the Tapestry email, if you're not on the Tapestry database and you want to be added, we send out Tapestry's Watermarks Adoption Foster Care Ministry and um, shoot us an email and, and we'll get you added to that list and you'll get information on events and so forth. Let me pray for us real quick. Father, thank you for a couple hours this Saturday morning to come and just to learn and to be equipped and educated. I thank you for each person in this room and for the sacrificing of a couple hours on Saturday morning. God, pray for us as parents. God, give us wisdom. God, give us compassion uh, that we would be like the Samaritan and not like the religious leader who walked by and that we would stop and we would get our hands dirty and we would... We would uh, willingly use our resources and our time and our energy on behalf of our kids. For each uh, family that's in the middle of an adoption process, God, give them endurance, give them patience. May they trust you in this uh, process. Uh, for those that have adopted and brought home kids from our places, I pray for uh, this really the same things, for endurance, for wisdom. I pray that they would cling tightly to Jesus and that you would help us to parent our kids well. In Jesus' name, amen.